Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we are set to respond to another question. It is Special Topic Thursday, an evening that is devoted and tailored to responding to your questions. And before I jump into my response this evening to your question, I did just want to continue to welcome all of you who are listening locally, but also by way of podcast, and just not in uh, this area, the city of Chico, or for that matter, the state of California or the country of the United States of America, but all those who are tuning in in the countries of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Chile, Brazil, also in Western Europe. I see you on the grid, Portugal, France, Spain, Germany, Italy, uh, Croatia. I see India, South Africa, uh, and other countries. I, I try to make a point to recognize those who are uh, devoted listeners, and I see and as I see certain countries listening from one day to the next and from one week to the next, I do want to be sure that I'm recognizing all of you that it really is an honor that you are taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into Seeds of Truth radio programming, radio programming that you know is devoted to the width and the breadth of the Christian and Catholic faith. We have covered so much ground here on Seeds of Truth through the years, and I continue to get questions that have me doing my homework, and I continue to get questions that feed me. Because when I get those questions that are more original, I find myself going deeper and deeper in the faith. And I absolutely love that. I had someone come up to me just the other day and say, well, gosh, Joe, I'm, I'm sure you've got all the answers to all the questions. Not even close. <laughs> Not even close. There are a million and one questions out there, and there are many questions I don't have answers to. But I tell you what, one thing that I'd love to do is say, hey, to all of you out there, I know where I might be able to find the answer. Let me get back to you if I don't know it right away, and let's explore together. And that's what this Thursday, Special Topic Thursday, is all about, exploring what comes from your mind and heart so that we are journeying together, journeying together deeper into the mystery and the heart of God. And so, amen to that. Now, all that being said, I did get a question that I would say came to me, oh, about two months ago. And the question as it initially came to me is, why do Catholics kneel during Mass? Why do you stand? Why do you sit? Why all the motion? Why the posture, right? Well, I want to respond to that one question about kneeling, and my hope is, by the grace of God, by responding to that one question, you're going to have a deeper sense about the importance of posture as a whole as it relates to the Mass. Now, this evening, we are going to draw heavily from uh, Pope Benedict XVI's work, The Spirit of the Liturgy. The Spirit of Liturgy was actually authored uh, by Benedict XVI when he was known as Cardinal Ratzinger. I would say that this is arguably his most important book because, uh, for my money, I don't know if there's a better book out there on the spirituality of the liturgy 
and why we do what we do as Catholics, right? It explores the beautiful mystery that is the liturgy, that privileged locus of tradition, that, that privileged place where we converse with the past each and every day. So in this book, he has a section titled, and it's uh, part four, Liturgical Form. And in this uh, part four, liturgical form, he gets not only into how we think about the rites of the Mass, but also the body and the liturgy. So under this subheading, he explores such things as the sign of the cross, uh, the human voice, vestments matter, standing and sitting, and also kneeling. And so quite simply because we can do no better than what Pope Benedict XVI Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has for us here, I thought we can kind of read some of his pieces and then just reflect with him. All right, he opens up with just not one question, but other questions that really get to the heart of, I think, what you're after. This is what he has to say. There are groups of no small influence who are trying to talk us out of kneeling. They say it doesn't suit our culture. They say... It's not right for a grown man to do this. He should face God on his feet. Or they may say, it's not appropriate for redeemed man. He has been set free by Christ and doesn't need to to kneel anymore. St. Augustine said this, The humility of Christ and his love, which went as far as the cross, is what freed us from those powers of the adversary. We now kneel before that humility. Cardinal Ratzinger extends that thought. The kneeling of Christians is not a form of enculturation into existing customs. It is quite the opposite, an expression of Christian culture, which transforms the existing culture through a new and deeper knowledge and experience of God. So what is Cardinal Ratzinger talking about there? Well, (laughs) Let us first define culture. You've heard me talk about this before. What does the word culture mean? It comes from the Latin cultus, which literally translates as to worship or worship. It can also mean to till as one might till the ground, okay? But it best translates as worship. Brothers and sisters, if we put society or culture or the state before the human individual— or before the family, we've got the tail wagging the dog. We've got it upside down. What does St. Francis of Assisi say? If you wish to sanctify society, you must first sanctify self. Why? Because the person comes before society. We've been made to think today that the state has certain powers, right? In a culture where there is an absence of faith, in a culture where there is an absence of truth, and an absence of love. It's just the wild, wild west. Which, oh, by the way, my friends, is just a trickle-down ideology that brings us all the way back to Nietzsche. What did Nietzsche hold? Ultimately, Nietzsche held that moral values have been exposed as ungrounded and that humanity is summoned to move into that unexplored space beyond good and evil. What does Nietzsche call this man? He calls this man the superman or the overman. This is the man who wishes to assert his power and impose his rule upon those around him. 
if you go into history, every government that wishes to assert that ideology fails. Why? Because in the end, as the uh, ancients remind us, <laughs> absolute power corrupts absolutely. And once we come to understand this, we are made to take a step back and realize the value of the human person. Nietzsche held in contempt such characteristics and values as compassion, generosity. No, those were beneath the human person. As uh, Bishop Barron was reflecting recently in a piece I was reading, there are many avatars <laughs> of Nietzsche today. Anyone who would wish to assert power, saying that they know best over and above an individual or the family, especially when it comes from the state, especially when it comes from government, is just another avatar of Nietzsche. Just an icon of what has failed over and over and over again. Why am I talking about this today? I want to read to you Cardinal Ratzinger again. The kneeling of Christians is not a form of enculturation into existing customs. It is quite the opposite. An expression of Christian culture, which transforms the existing culture through a new and deeper knowledge and experience of God. Once we go on bended knee, we encounter God on a deep, deep level. And as we do, we come to understand that before the state changes, effectively before culture changes, man must first change. Why? Because it starts with man. If you are worshiping false gods in the home, then the world out there will reflect that. We worship many false gods, strange gods. Mea culpa, how I spend my idle time. Mea culpa, by the grace of God go I. The words I share this evening are words that should challenge us. I'll tell you, I'm challenging myself this evening. I'm challenging myself this evening because if I'm going to speak to this, I know I need to live this. And by living this, I mean spending time the way I ought to spend time, which always, first and foremost, starts on bending knee. Once we start our days on bending knee, once we start our days in prayer, and when we are able by going to Mass, the things we do, how we act, our behavior, what we think about, will be centered on God, both in the home, yes, but also outside of the home. Start on bending knee, and culture will begin to change. We live in a world that suggests the world has all the answers because we've removed God from so much of what we do. It's Nietzsche in the rearview mirror saying, don't worry about this person or that person. Don't worry about Alfie Evans. The government knows best. The state knows best. The world knows best. No, they don't. Because the world, like Nietzsche and so many others, has contempt for life. We will come to a, a deeper knowledge of God, an experience of God, once we go on bended knee. You see, kneeling does not come from any culture, right? It comes from the Bible, and its knowledge is a knowledge of God. The central importance of kneeling in the Bible can be seen in a very concrete way. 
the Greek word uh, proskuneo, proskuneo, alone occurs 59 times in the New Testament, 24 times of which are in the Apocalypse. And that's important to get to your answer because, of course, the book of the heavenly liturgy, the book of Revelation, is presented to the church as what but the standard for her own liturgy. If you were with me when we studied the book of Revelation, you know that we went through this carefully. What do we intend to mean there when we say that the book of Revelation is but the standard for Christian liturgy? Well, consider Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, Sunday worship. Chapter 1, verse 13, you have a high priest. Chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. Chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 14, verse 18, you have an altar. In chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 11, verse 15. Chapter 14, verse 3. In chapter 19, verse 4, you have priests. Chapter 1, verse 13. And many other verses in the book of Revelation, you have vestments. How about chapter 14, verse 4, where you have consecrated celibacy? If you're not a Catholic and you've been to Mass, have you seen lampstands or a menorah? Chapter 1, verse 12, and chapter 2, verse 5. How about chapters 2 and 3? But what is foundational to how we think about our penitential rite? You ever go to Mass and see incense? Chapter 5, verse 8. Chapter 8, verses 3 to 5. How about chapter 2, verse 17 in the Eucharistic host? How about chalices, chapter 15, verse 7, and and pretty much all of chapter 16, along with chapter 21, verse 9? How about the sign of the cross, chapter 7, verse 3? How about the Gloria, the great Gloria we read about in chapter 15, verses 3 to 4? The great hymn, Alleluia, in chapter 19, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 12, we lift up our hearts, holy, holy, holy. These are all things that you see during the Mass. The great amen, chapter 19, verse 4, and chapter 22, verse 21. The Lamb of God, chapter 5, verse 6. The intercession of angels and saints, and in chapter 5, verse 8, and chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. And of course, the marriage supper of the Lamb in chapter 19, verses 9 and 17. I'm also recalling in chapter 8, verse 1, where you have silent contemplation. Why am I going through all of these verses? Because, brothers and sisters in Christ, 24 times you you have the proskuneo, the kneeling, the kneeling, when, where, but during the Mass. Now, on closer inspection, one can discern three closely related uh, forms of posture, forms of kneeling. First, there is the uh, prostratio lying with one's face to the ground before the overwhelming power of God. Second, especially in the New Testament, there is falling to one's knees before another. And thirdly, there is kneeling. Linguistically, the three forms of posture are not always clearly distinguished. Uh, They can be combined or merged with one another, if you will. In the case of prostratio, uh, as Cardinal Ratzinger notes here, In the New Testament, from the fathers onward, that is the fathers of the church, of course, our Lord's prayer on the Mount of Olives was especially important. If we're to go into the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, what does Jesus do? He throws himself to the ground. Indeed, he he falls to the earth. However, St. Luke is in a special way regarded as the theologian of kneeling prayer as he tells us that Jesus prayed on his knees. 
how he prayed on his knees. This prayer, the prayer by which Jesus enters into his passion, is an example for us. Cardinal Ratzinger says, just not in gesture, but also in its content. What does he mean by that? Well, the gesture is what? But Jesus assuming, as it were, the fall of man, whereby he lets himself fall into man's fallenness. And as he does, he prays to the Father out of the lowest depths of human dereliction and anguish. He lays his will in the will of the Father's. What do we read? In the agony of the garden, not my will, but yours be done. He lays the human will in the divine. So he takes up all the hesitation of the human will and he endures it. Colonel Ratzinger says that it is this very conforming of the human will to the divine that is the heart of redemption. But what does he mean by that? Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, what have you heard me speak to time and time again? What is that all-important passage that comes to us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, how we are called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling? In fear and trembling, letting the healing balm of Christ's redemptive love to touch our woundedness. Only when we rest our will in the will of God will we begin to understand what we are talking about now. And once we understand this, we will better understand why St. Paul says what he says in Romans chapter 8, verses 14, 15, and following. That we have not received the spirit of slavery in which we fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption in which we cry, Abba, Father. Now we understand why the Son's loving way of addressing the Father, Abba, is found at the heart of our faith. St. Paul sees in this cry the prayer that the Holy Spirit places on our lips. And, oh, by the way, my friends, consequently, anchors our spirit-filled prayer during the Mass, in the liturgy, in the Lord's Prayer in Gethsemane. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Now, I want to continue to draw out further the link between kneeling and worship. And I want to do this by going to the Samaritan woman. In this beautiful episode, you have the, the proskuneo, the proskuneo occurring 11 times, of which nine occurrences are found in Jesus's conversation with the Samaritan woman by Jacob's well over a span of about five, six verses. I think it's verses 19 to 24. This conversation, my friends, if you recall, is entirely devoted to what but the theme of worship. And it is indisputable that here, as elsewhere in St. John's Gospel, the word proskuneo, as it speaks to kneeling, also means worship. Worship. Why did I talk about culture the way I did earlier? For us to appreciate the link between just not kneeling and worship, but kneeling and culture. That if we are going to transform culture, we must first transform our hearts. If we are going to transform the world out there that is governed by all of these Nietzsche-driven ideologies, we must first transform the heart. And we do this by starting on bended 
knee. Now, I believe there to be a salient point here that comes from Ratzinger, and this is on page 190 of the Spirit Liturgy. He says that um, the spiritual and bodily meaning of proskuneo are really inseparable. That is, the bodily gesture itself is the bearer of spiritual meaning, which is precisely that of worship. Without the worship, the bodily gesture would be meaningless, while the spiritual act must of its very nature, because of the psychosomatic unity of man, express itself in the bodily gesture. As Cardinal Ratzinger closes out this thought, the two aspects are united in the one word because in a very profound way, they belong together. Remember how in the past I have talked about the sacramentality of the body? We've put this in the context of maybe our laughter, that our a smile and our giggling and our laughter is actually a sacrament of joy, how tears might be a sacrament of sadness, red cheeks a, a sacrament of uh, embarrassment, how we communicate, how we express ourselves. There's something deeper going on all the time. You know, 90% of all communication is unspoken. And as it is, it speaks to the interior reality of who we are as human persons. There's spiritual meaning to this. In the Hebrew of the Old Testament, we have a, a verb, barak. It, it means to kneel. It's a, it's a cognate with the word barak it, it, that means knee a word that means knee. I bring this up because as we are reflecting into the body and the spiritual meaning of the body, the Hebrews would often talk about the barak and the barak, the two kneel and knee, because they regarded the knees as a symbol of strength. You see, my friends, to bend the knee is to bend our strength before the living God. An acknowledgement of the fact that all that we are, we receive from him. We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 13, Solomon, kneeling in the presence of all the assembly of Israel there in the temple. It was an expression of his what? Worship, his disposition before God. After the exile and the affliction of the, of the returned Israel, which is still without a temple, Ezra repeats this very gesture at the time of even, evening sacrifice. What do we read in Ezra chapter 9, verse 5? I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. Brothers and sisters, kneeling is so important. And oh, by the way, <laughs> apparently, as Cardinal Ratzinger notes, St. James, the brother of the Lord, right, the first bishop of Jerusalem and head of the, the Jewish Christian church, knelt so much in worship that he had a, a kind of callous on his knees because he was always on his knees worshiping God and, and begging for forgiveness for his people. And of course, there's the story that I have shared before, that story that comes from the sayings of the Desert Fathers, according to which the devil was compelled by God to show himself to a certain uh, Abba Apollo. And as the devil was described by that person, he said this, he looked black and ugly, with frightening thin limbs, but most strikingly, he had no knees. He had no knees. <laughs> Colonel Ratzinger here notes 
The inability to kneel is seen as the very essence of the diabolical. The very essence of the diabolical. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, we read, By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone forth in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. A prophecy that draws us back to the great Christological hymn found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Those verses just before we are called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Cardinal Ratzinger says, In this pre-Pauline hymn, we hear and see the prayer of the apostolic church, and within it can discern her confession of faith in Christ. However, we also hear the voice of the apostle himself, who enters into this prayer and hands it on to us. And ultimately, we are made to perceive the inner unity of the old and new, as Christ takes up all of the Old Testament, fulfills it, and transforms it in the cross. My dear friends, the cross has become the world-embracing sign of God's presence, and we are made to bow down on bed and knee before the cross. And as we do each day and every Sunday, we do so with the altar before the cross. The crucifix is behind the altar that we might contemplate the deeper meaning between the unity of the cross and the altar. That what happened 2,000 years ago is what happens every day, four times every second of every day, as I've talked about it before, right? And so out from that disposition of being on bended knee, we contemplate the sacredness of all that God has accomplished in the cross and on the altar. And as we do, we do so mindful that he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to be sent forth and to share this sacredness, this sacredness that can only best be shared if it first started on bending knee. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.